For the which cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually also worketh in you that believe. Those are the words that Paul directed to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. A highlighted consideration of the specialness with which they looked upon the word of God, seeing it as not only that which was important and vital, but the only rule for practice. And that makes one, of course, acceptable before God. Isn't it a blessing to be able to come together on this Lord's Day morning? We have a good attendance, not only our membership, but visitors who've come our way. And we're so thankful for every one of you. And it's our hope and trust that as we together sing and pray and engage in the other attributes of worship, that we also can, for the next few moments, consider a section, a portion of God's holy and divine will. As you can tell from the slide, we will be looking in particular at the qualifications this morning of elders. As we noted last Lord's Day morning, we here at Pippin are involved in a very special time. The name of Brother Gary Medley has been put before us to become another one of our elders. And though it wasn't planned, as I mentioned then, I had made preparation to begin a series of lessons last Sunday. And that is to continue today as we look a bit at the qualifications and the work of the elder. By way of considering that, very briefly last Sunday we looked at these ideas. We appreciated some of the terms used in the Word of God to identify those men who are elders. We looked at six of them in particular. Following that, we cast a spotlight on the details, at least in a general fashion of their work, and looked at some of the features characteristic of the spiritual leadership they provide. It is with that in mind that we set ourselves before the bottom thoughts on that slide preparing us for today. We remember that Paul especially told Titus in Titus 1 verse 5 to ordain elders in every church. They were in fact to be existent in those locations and so it is, isn't it, the will of God that congregations have elders. It is possible for a church to exist in a scripture way without it if no men are qualified, of course, but it is the will of God that men be qualified and that that congregation use those men to serve in that position of the elder. It is with that in mind, I would ask you to notice, if it is so important that the church have elders, can we just appoint anybody to that office? And we each know the answer is no. There are qualifications that God has set forth that a man is to have in order that he might serve in that capacity as an elder. And beginning this morning and continuing into this evening, we will look at what those qualifications of elders are. As we begin on this next slide, I've tried to divide them into groups. Now please appreciate that the Holy Spirit saw fit not to do this. I've just tried to arrange them in a way that maybe you and I can see some of the interworkings between them. The first section. What about the behavior and the attitude? And let's go back to the text that was read for us just a moment ago. Verse number 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 3 reads as follows. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop... He desireth a good work. Of a special note is the verb that, again, the Holy Spirit has used on that occasion, and I've called it to our attention as the first consideration, the attribute or the matter of desire on the part of this man. By definition, that word means to strive for, to reach for, to reach unto that 
which is a very high consideration. In particular, I might ask you to notice that that surely entails an appreciation in the mind of this man for the dignity, for the solemnity, and the importance that attaches to the work of the elder. It is not just a commonplace office to hold, is it? It really is extraordinarily honorable and special. So much so, I would ask you to notice, maybe as you and I think about the young, the young boys among us, look down the stream of time, 15, 20, 30 years or more, and we might wish for them nothing better than that they might appreciate by that moment the nature of being an elder and that they might aspire to it. I would call to your attention verses like Hebrews eleven sixteen, where the same word desire is used. There, they desire a better country. Speaking about those who are the great honor roll of faith and the desire that they had for that great land of heaven, it should be significant that a man appreciates so much so the opportunity and the privilege that goes with the office of the elder, his love for the church, his love for the souls of individuals, that he might contribute to their spiritual well-being. Point number two. We notice that in addition to his desire, notice the following. Peter puts it like this. In 1 Peter chapter 5, I would ask you to notice these words also descriptive of the elder. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. I'll pause at that point and bring therefrom these next qualifications. First of all, number two, you'll appreciate that Peter wrote, not by constraint, but willingly. A man, as he occupies that position of the elder, you'll appreciate that word literally means voluntarily. Of one's own accord, no man must be forced or coerced to serve as an elder. Just to fulfill, say, a number of at least two so that the church can have them. If that be the case, he's not qualified. A man mustn't feel as though, again, he's being forced to do it. I would ask you to appreciate that that same consideration appears in that text there that we just read. It says, of a ready mind, does he of his own voluntary will aspire to that office and will he thus serve in it? Not feeling as if he's made to do it, but out of his love for the truth of God and his willingness to serve the church in that way. How about number three? Peter also wrote it like this. I would ask you to appreciate very interestingly the language he uses. Not, neither is being lords over God's heritage. Lords over God's heritage. I stated that in this way. We all recognize that there is but one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, mentioned to you and to me in Acts 10, verses 36 to 38. The Lordship of Christ is an unquestioned thing, and it's to be sure that an elder does have a degree of authority, but it was delegated to him by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He must never thus feel as he occupies that role of an eldership, that he is the Lord of that congregation in the sense that he's the thoroughfare through whom they go to God. 
He is not the mediator to heaven. There's only one mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy 2.5 says it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, he must never allow that position to, quote, go to his head and begin to presumptuously act in ways to where he authorizes and does things that perhaps question the degree of God's authority, not lording it over the church. Isn't it still true that Paul told the elders of the church in Ephesus a matter that should forever rest upon the mind of a man? That would be an elder. Take heed to yourself and to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And you'll notice the Holy Ghost made him that overseer. He didn't occupy that position apart from the nature of God's willingness and authority. Number four, bottom of that slide. Let's now return to the text in 1 Timothy. With these ideas in mind, look at what else must be stated to be true. Verse number 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Especially if no, we appreciate the fact that a man who is an elder must not be a novice. And you and I might question, what does that phrase or word mean? Literally, from the original language, it means not a new or recent convert. It takes time for the maturity to develop. It takes time for the thoroughness and understanding of not only the will of God, but to interact with people. Not a new convert. Isn't it significant, as you and I look upon that, that the danger is inherently stated? Note again how specially stated that is. Verse 6, Not a novice, lest, being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. The very matter which then might come as a temptation to him is the very thing that happened to the devil. According to Jude, verse number 6, what happened to the devil? He kept not his first estate. Though an angel in heaven he was, he chose to rebel against that estate which he enjoyed. And in that rebellion, he lifted himself up presumptuously. Paul said that same kind of thing can happen to a new convert. He can allow, begin with pride to allow himself to act in ways beyond the delegation of the authority God has given him. And as he lifts himself up in that way, he could fall into the very same condemnation the devil did. That's serious business, isn't it? And so, number four, not a new convert. You may notice that the Holy Spirit didn't attach an age to this. You and I know that a 55-year-old man might be a recent convert. He would not be qualified to serve as an elder. But by the same token, a 32-year-old might already have been a Christian long enough. All the other qualifications satisfied, that man might be qualified. Interesting, isn't it? The wisdom attached to the simple statement the Holy Spirit made, not a new convert. What about the next consideration or those next ones to follow? Number five, we go back to verse number two of 1 Timothy 3. A bishop then must be blameless. Amazing, isn't it, that the word must is used. These qualifications are not optional. We have to appreciate the seriousness attached to them. What about the nature of blamelessness? I'd be quick to say that this one is one that for many of us causes a degree of stumbling because we misappreciate the nature of the word. 
I suppose for some of us it's tempting to associate blamelessness with perfection. That's not what the word means. That's not what the word means. In fact, let's develop it perhaps like this. That word literally means in the original language, as you can see, not to be laid hold of. In other words, this gentleman's life is above an open, ongoing criticism. There's no single thing to which you can grasp hold of his life and claim that that is a matter of sin, a matter of shortcoming character. His life, again, would not be of that kind of character. This man, just like anyone else, is a human being. He has his imperfections. He has his faults. 1 John 1.8 says, If any man say he has no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. This man makes his mistakes like anybody else. But there's no single thing to which you can point that lays in his life an open and ongoing charge that makes him unworthy to serve in this position as an elder. Blamelessness. I would ask you to appreciate that in Titus's version of this, he actually describes it like this, blameless as a steward of God. This man seeks to utilize his talents and abilities and skills in a way to encourage and to lift high the banner of God's goodness in every way. He's a good steward of what God has given him. As you and I develop that, you'll notice number six then takes us to this next word. Paul uses this one. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2, vigilant. I've listed it as our qualification number 6. You might notice, interestingly, what the original Greek term was. Literally to hold no wine. The man appointed as an elder must not have any interest in alcoholic beverages in a social fashion. It's just that simple. It being interesting of appreciation is over the course of usage of that term, it came to not only make reference to that, but to make reference to the kind of behavior that often associates to those who drink alcoholic beverages. They act in foolish ways. They act without sound judgment. They act in ways that are very questionable to say the least. Vigilant, an elder again given to no wine. I might use this as an opportunity, though, to remind us that that wisdom is not just for the elder. Ephesians 5.18 gives it to all of us. God condemns the social consumption of alcohol. And so this elder, surely as a gentleman who would occupy this position and be an example to all others, he must not be given to wine. You'll notice in that, though, it brings us to number 7. Qualification number seven, at least in, in the listing that I've put before us. Sober. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2, the word sober is used. A bishop must then be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober. That word sober means to be sensible, to be of sound mind, to be self-controlled. You and I need to appreciate this significant importance that this gentleman will have as an elder of the congregation. He needs to be a sensible man. We need to see wisdom and prudence in his behavior. Does he make wise decisions? Is he one who is able by virtue of the evidence we see in his life, he can soundly appreciate what a course of action may well produce? He can say, that's not a good idea because this is likely what it's going to cause to happen. 
We see wisdom in the way he behaves and in the conduct of himself. This matter of sober-mindedness, sensibility, and prudence. You and I would certainly expect that could be a very good characteristic and the Holy Spirit demands it. I would ask you to notice in 2 Peter 1 verse 6, the Christian graces list elements that at least relate to that for every one of us. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness. As you and I think about those, notice the elder is here expected to especially exemplify something like it. Last one on that slide, number eight. This phrase appears, 1 Timothy 3, verse number 2, of good behavior. That seems like a general statement in a way, doesn't it? Of good behavior. Literally, the word means well-arranged, disciplined. It carries with it the idea of respectability and honorableness. Does this man, by virtue of the way he is considered in community and in his business dealings, is he looked upon as a gentleman who is disciplined and well-respected? That surely says something about his reputation. If he is of reputation such that it's been questionable, or through the years he's often been dealing in things that has brought, shall we say, a negative connotation from others, one might want to think twice about asking him to be an elder. You'll notice in 1 Peter 3, verses 10 and 11, all of us are admonished to serve as a pattern of godliness. It seems again that idea appears in this consideration of the qualifications of an elder. As we finish that number eight, let's go to the next slide and notice what else the Holy Spirit had to say. The King James Version in verse number 3 of 1 Timothy 3 begins like this, Not given to wine. Now you and I have already noticed the word vigilant carried that idea. I suppose we would expect that the original Greek word may be carried a different thought or at least an additional one. Here's the idea. This one seems to carry the thrust of addiction. And surely in regard to that, we would appreciate an addiction not just to what we would recognize as alcoholic beverage, but a drug of any kind. He mustn't be addicted to such a thing. He must not be overpowered and overwhelmed by the virtue of these physical materialistic things. You'll notice as we develop that thought, Titus in Titus 1.7 again says something pretty similar to it. But these ideas seemingly go right along with the original Greek word. What kind of behaviors usually accompany those who are addicted to something? Well, often they're quarrelsome. Often they're given to brawling. They're given to behavior that is contentious. That appears to be included in this. An elder mustn't be a contentious man. He mustn't like to stir up trouble. It should be his desire to be a peace-loving man who maintains that degree of peace, of course, in the congregation. Number nine, that not given to wine and the idea of quarreling or brawling challenges us with number ten. The Holy Spirit also said this, no striker. That's another interesting term. It literally means not a bruiser. 
It is very important, as you and I would easily expect, that an elder mustn't be a violent man. He must not be a man who, if things don't go as he wishes, goes into a rage. For if that were to happen, you can well expect the congregation to be afraid of him. They wouldn't bring to him their concerns, for they'd be fearful of how he might react. His fellow elders likely would be very reserved about him for fear that he would fly into a rage with them. Important not to be a violent man. As you and I think about the characteristic, the 1 Timothy 3, 3, no striker. Surely as we think about that, he isn't a man given to abusiveness. What about the next one, number 11? The Holy Spirit used this phrase, no brawler. 1 Timothy 3, verse number 3. As we develop that consideration, let's do it like this. The word literally means to be uncontentious, to not be disposed to fighting or quarreling. And we seemingly see some correspondence between this one and the previous one. Maybe it tells us something about the place in which Timothy was working and the possibility of the kind of characteristics that some of the men of that place tended to have. Serious though, isn't it, to appreciate that this alone could disqualify a man from serving as an elder. Is he a man that seems to thrive with contention? Is he always wanting to stir the pot and to say things to others that might cause disagreements and difficulties? that man would not be qualified to serve as an elder. You'll notice among those things, Hebrews 12, 14 reminds you and me about the highest state of peacefulness. Romans 12, 18 says it like this, As much as life in you live at peace with all men. Let's go to the next one. Beyond these, what about this phrase, appearing not only here but also in Titus, not greedy of filthy lucre. Not greedy of ill-gotten gain or of basely gotten gain. At the bottom of that slide, this surely indicates that one had better watch the business dealings, the typical transactions of which this man is a party. If he tends to be shady in his business dealings, you could anticipate that the church ought to beware. After all, he will have access to the treasury. He'll have access to the monies contained therein. One has to be careful and recognize not greedy of filthy lucre. Maybe as you and I think of how often the Lord Himself discussed money and things like it, it brings us to number 13. An elder is a man that must not be given covetousness. This was stated exactly as a requirement. 1 Timothy 3 verse number 3. The literal usage of that word here from the original term means not a lover of money. Now he understands that you have to have money to take care of yourself and family, but money is not the prime objective. He understands that the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveteth after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10. Beyond this notion of not covetousness, Let's now notice one of them that Titus has for our consideration that fits into this consideration. Not self-willed. That word literally means not one who pleases himself. This man is not stubborn and arrogant. Even when faced with evidence, he's willing to consider it. 
He doesn't just abide by whatever he thinks despite what the evidence says. He is a person who listens to the things about him and then in proper judgment without partiality proceeds to make his decisions. Not self-willed. That leads us to number 15. Not soon angry. You'll notice that language especially appears in Titus 1 verse 7. Does he have a quick temper? Does he fly off the handle immediately? If he does, he's not qualified to serve as an elder. For you see, an elder will face many situations. Many of them may try his patience. Things often come before the elder that are very troubling and bothersome. He mustn't quickly become angry. Now let's be quick to say, the Bible doesn't condemn anger. Be angry and sin not, Ephesians 4.26 but this man has his anger in control. He has his anger and the other attributes in proper, controlled, and disciplined measure. Not soon angry. Next one, number 16. We read a moment ago from 1 Peter 5, 3, this man is to be an example to the flock. Many eyes will look to him as an example of godly living. They will look to him as an example of how to take care of one's own family and the kind of disposition in heart and mind that leads to a life that's godly and that is highly respected from the perspective of heaven. I listed that as an especial one because of how marvelous that concept is. Even though Paul himself was not an elder, we remember that this statement by him was made, "...be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ." Seems to me that'd be an appropriate statement in concept for an elder. His life is to be one of godliness. His life is to be one looked upon as an example to the flock. You'll notice as we have looked at each one of these, we have been led today, this morning, to appreciate 16 qualifications of an elder. Come back tonight and we'll continue this list picking up with number 17. For right now, though, let me simply say and use this as an appropriate time to highlight how special these qualifications are. But have you noticed that I've tried to emphasize it along the way? So many of them are expected of every one of us. Isn't that amazing? But also, isn't that important to observe? It might be this morning there's someone in this audience, maybe one or more in fact, and at this moment in life you're separated from God. You are not living faithfully. Maybe you've never become a Christian. We'd be delighted today to celebrate with you at your initial obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're a young man, you can aspire one day to serving in the office of an elder. That plan of salvation demands you believe Jesus to be the Son of God. You repent of your sins and confess His name as the Son of God. As you do so, you're then a fit candidate for baptism, and we'd be honored to immerse you for forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2.38. If you have become a Christian at some former day and time, but you have allowed problems to dwell up in your life to the point they have led to open rebellion and sin, you need to come back to your first love, and no better day than this one could there ever be. In fact, it's dangerous to live apart from God. For apart from Him, you have no hope. Ephesians 2.12 Why not this very day come and acknowledge sin if they're publicly appreciated? 
beseech brethren to pray to God on your behalf, and we'd be honored to do it. I know we've studied the qualifications of elders this morning and shall do so again tonight. But I hope we'll each be encouraged to realize so many of these are expected of all of us. And if you're not living up to that standard, that high calling of God, why not turn over a new leaf today? If we could help you do that. Brother Adam has chosen this song of encouragement. And right now is an opportune, convenient time. If you need to come, why don't you do it while together we stand and sing?